Shots fired, yeah. Maybe that was a little bit longer than 30 seconds, but we're back. We're back in the building. So what have we got on the docket this week? Well, us three, the man, the myth, the legend, Jasanga Malata, and the young king, Kairos Bodley, have each got uh, something that they want to bring to the table. And uh, obviously, so have I. Welcome, everybody, to this week's live rounds, Shots Fired. So I'm going to start things off. First off, you know, I don't think we say this enough. I don't think it kind of like um, gets amplified enough. If you want to actually get involved with the show, yes, this is the way of actually doing it, but just tweeting us. Tweet Chisanga, tweet Kairos, tweet G, tweet me. Let us know how you want to get involved in the show, what things you want brought up, what topics you want covered, what your thoughts are on the hot topics of the moment. But speaking of the hot topics of the moment, my hot topic at, well, at this moment in time is an incredible new documentary, which I had the pleasure of actually um, taking in. It's not on general release, as I understand it, at the moment. And that documentary, as it were, is called Warrior Spirit. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Warrior Spirit, um, it features the inaugural, um, well, it was the women's flyweight champion um, at the heart of it, Native American champion Nico Montagna. Now, personally, I, I, I feel as though the filmmakers, when they actually embarked upon this, they thought that they were filming something else. And that was the usual background into a fighter leading up to the fight and kind of like, I suppose, fly on the wall and day-to-day activities, but what they got was something far greater and something which was far more, I suppose, um, I'm trying to think of the, a, a better word than this, but quite disturbing. And it covers weight cutting in a massive uh, portion of it. And um, I just want to throw it out um, after I give my own kind of like good, bad and ugly pricey of the film, opinion of the film, stance on the film, um, I'm going to throw it out to those of you who've actually seen it in the audience, but also to Chisanga and Kairos, who I know are chomping at the bit to actually give their two penneth on what they think. But first off, you know, before we go any further, I'm going to start with the good, the good of this film. And what struck me um, 
and, and I suppose you couldn't really get away from it, is the fact that this covered a Native American champion. Nico Montagna, I, I have to say, and I don't really want to over-egg it because it might, might seem as though I'm um, overdoing it in terms of the praise that I'm heaping on her, but I do think it's a pretty big deal. A Native American champion, the UFC's first Native American champion, um, what I feel was the good aspect of this. The fact that it covered it from a women's perspective as well. Excuse me. We've seen things, well, I certainly have anyway, several times, things like the Smashing Machine, you know, those classic documentary and a lot of the documentaries that we've seen and indeed films, uh, apart from Bruce, which we covered recently, um, has been from a male perspective. And that's why this gets my good aspect of this film. Warrior Spirit, I think, you know, does actually do a lot in terms of covering a lot of women's issues and the fact that, you know, he wasn't shy of the kind of coverage um, in terms of the issues that were raised. So that's my good. I'm going to go around and spin the bottle. I'm going to go to Kairos first. Kairos, what was the good about Warrior Spirit? I thought it was a pretty high quality project, given that it was like kind of... And if, independently made um i like the way it was shot i liked um i like the flow it was it wasn't too long either i was like please don't let this be two hours and 30 minutes of this bullshit and it, it felt like it was like an hour to me so i was happy about that <clears throat> especially because i just watched it today and um what was what else was good i like that they tapped into her actual navajo roots they just didn't leave it at her being native american representation let her speak on her story, her situation, and her truth, rather than just being like, yep, Native American, come from a shitty place, there you go. Like, I was like, okay, good, at least they told a little bit of, like, insight, but I would have liked it to be a little bit more. Jasanga, the good. The good, well, I think what is good is, as as, as you said, as Kairos uh just said there i don't want to sound as if i'm piggybacking off him but uh they emphasized her her particular native american roots and that they didn't just have a use the term native american as just a blanket title if you know what i mean um and also what i what i thought was what i thought was good in general as well is for nico to almost tell her side of the story without coming out and doing an interview people going behind the scenes and seeing everything and seeing her trials and tribulations and because uh, a lot of people in the MMA sphere just sadly have the perception of her that she just is lazy with her diet or lazy with her training, and that's why she's habitually missed weight. So I I, I think it's good in that. And as Kyra said as well, like the the quality of the of the of the, uh, of the, uh, the imagery and the camera work is is very very good. Like especially in comparison to some other MMA films which we've seen. Okay, so now on to the bad. For me, the bad was I get where the film's narrative kind of like turned. And I, and I do get this feeling as though it wasn't something that was expected. It was almost as though it was a hidden gem. And I say hidden gem because it's an area, it's an issue, it's something within the sport that's not widely covered. I love the fact that, you know, it was warts and all, but we're on to the bad. So the bad for me was the whole perspective of balance. I get that they had representatives um, from the PI there. And I get that, um, you know, they were to a certain extent 
allowed to speak. But what I don't, or what I do feel was kind of like missing was a counterbalance to what we were seeing on screen. She was in absolute agony when cutting weight. She was being tortured when she was going from, you know, the sauna into the sweatsuit and then literally limping around the streets as she was trying to lose weight. But what we didn't get was a sense of perspective. Now, I get that this was warts and all, and I get in terms of narrative structure, there had to be that element in order to really ram the point home. But to be fair, it wasn't fair because there wasn't the counterbalance, the counter-argument. And I, I do feel to a certain extent um, that may have actually put this in context. And it's something which every fighter, it's something which um, not just Nico has actually lived with. I, I do remember being behind the scenes with um, Brad One Punch Pickett when I actually covered... Um, I think it was UFC Dublin. Now, for me, seeing that warts and all, I felt compelled that I was actually going to give the other side in terms of nutrition, in terms of perspective. And even though it was a short, I managed to do that. Now, this was a documentary. And as you say, Kairos, it wasn't particularly long and it wasn't particularly weaving. I do feel it could have been... Um, well, well within the gift of the narrative structure to actually host that. So the bad for me was balance. So again, throwing it out to our co-hosts, Chisanga, what was your bad aspect of this? Um, well, you kind of literally took all my uh, my, my my talking points there, Mike. <laughs> as as you say, as as with any documentary, you want to have as much balance as 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 possible but with this we we did we sadly didn't get that so i i think i think that's my main uh my main gripe with it with the product but overall i mean i'd recommend it i'd say it's it's, it's a good watch and i'd implore i'd implore any mixed martial arts fan to to watch it and those who have cri criticized nico in the past to watch it and to truly understand the trials and tribulations that she has the battle with the scale oh, yeah with the scale well, obviously she's no longer with the ufc anymore but it's obviously a battle that she'll she'll have once again whenever she does decide to return to the cage Kairos Bodley Woo the bad listen if they thought that project was supposed to be damage control on her career that was a fucking mistake that shit made her look even worse that shit listen the bad was if they wanted us to see her in a better light it only made us see her in an even worse light. From the way they made it framed about her cutting weight to the discipline, to the people that she had around her, I was like, oh, hell no. I was about to give her some slack until I watched this shit. You should have never let me see this because now my perception of her is even fucking worse. And I won't even cloud the time. We'll go into it when we want to go into it. But just like, wow, that shit was bad. From the fact that her... Okay, I won't go. You just go on. Go on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. D do go ahead. The, the whole point is you're giving us the bad aspect. And it sounds like you've got a lot to unpack. A lot of... I have to say um, that, that I'm actually disagreeing with. I'm sitting here shaking my head furiously. If we were on the video call, you'd see me have my hand up already. But no, Kairos, do go on. Okay, well, first and foremost... Her lack of discipline and her surrounding herself with people who are incompetent was a huge factor. 
If you looked at the weight chart, keeping track of her weight throughout the weeks and how much weight they wanted her to lose, it was like two pounds a week. Then the week of fight, she was supposed to drop 17 fucking pounds. Are you people fucking stupid? Why aren't y'all trying to lower her natural body weight and then lower incrementally instead of just saying, all right, great, two pounds this week, two pounds this week, two pounds, then seven fucking team? What the fuck do you guys think was going to happen? And y'all kept doing it too. Y'all didn't just do it for the week where she fucking flops with making weight. Y'all did it again, expecting a different fucking result. What the fuck are y'all doing? Then we have to see her talking about, oh my goodness, I'm not afraid to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, I'm the victim. They shouldn't have cut me after that. They shouldn't have made me lose my belt after not being able to make weight, comparing her to Max fucking Holloway. The same Max Holloway who's been fighting with the organization she was, since he was 18 fucking years old, multiple time champion, multiple time defending champion, and he was doing the UFC a favor too, stepping up. What the fuck do you think you are comparing yourself to Max Holloway? Are you fucking nuts? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I take it you've, uh, you've, uh, You've expended, you've, 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 you've blown a gasket there in terms of the points that you wanted to make. I just want to quickly segue. I'm going to come back to you, Kairos. I'm just going to quickly segue to um, one of our, uh, our listeners here, Sat Patient, the, uh, the enlightened baddie. The enlightened baddie, your mic's live. What have you got to say, my brother? Uh, real quick question. Who are we specifically talking about? I came in here late, so I want to get some ground, you know, clarification first before I continue on. Who uh... are... Okay. This is covering the new documentary, it's Warrior Spirit. It's not on general release at the moment, but it's covering Nico Montagna, who is the, um, well, oh. the, 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 the inaugural um, yeah, lightweight yeah. champion. The, the con- constant weight misser. Um, uh, I don't have much kind of things to say, but what I did want to speak on was the, the weight cutting aspect, the two pounds every week, then the last week, 17 pounds thing. In general, that's typically how you just cut weight. You don't want to lose your, you don't want to cut your natural body weight down too early because then when you go into the fight, like you don't put weight back on. And in this sport, you know, you want to be as big as you are, as, you know, healthily as you can be on fight night. That's why you do the two pound, two pound, two pounds in that last week. It's a lot of that's water manipulation too. So, like, you'll do the whole Dolce thing where you drink a couple gallons of water one day, then one gallon, then, you know, half a gallon, then no water, you know, and so it's, that's really what I was just raising my hand about. But her specifically, I mean, she has a history of missing weight, you know, and I don't know. I don't miss it once. It's one thing. Miss it twice. It's another thing. Her shit is just to the point where it's like, come on, get your shit together. You, but you see, that's why you are a prime candidate for this documentary. The Enlightened uh, Baddie, or if I can call you TEB. I have to say, this is ideally set up for someone like you um, because it gives perspective, it gives context, and it gives background. I'm just going to segue back to Kairos because he's furiously got his hand up, and I reckon there's some uh, some firing coming. Listen, man, it sounds like it's such a smart idea, and I'm with you until we realize that it's fucking Nico Montano not being able to do it, so you have no choice but to change the strategy up. Why? Why would you? Also, if she, it's not just the fact that, okay, it's customary and mixed martial arts to do this weight offloading leading up or water offloading leading up. Guess what, though? She couldn't even make 135. So I don't disagree with you. Well, in theory, so she can't even make 135 fucking pounds. Look, You're look, a flyweight and can't make bantamweight. What the fuck? <laughs> no, and that's what I'm saying. Because it's her, I don't have as much sympathy because of her habit or her history of weight missing weight. 
Hence the clarification I wanted to get before going into it. That's why I said typically that's how you cut weight. You know, that's just the name of the game. But she has a history. And that history, you know, might have something that's, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? That documentary might expound on something that, you know, I don't know about. You know, that being said, if your body's not making the weight and you're taking these contracts that other people who can make the weight, you know, could are missing out on like you're just doing a disservice to everybody else in the fucking organization like you can't make the weight don't sign the contract i am really hoping that um they do bring this either to netflix it is definitely on that level it's netflix worthy in terms of aesthetics look feel where can and, uh, um, honestly where can someone watch it now i'm not too sure because i got a press screener and um mm. i sent it around our little gang the shots fired gang because we were obviously reviewing it with the general public i don't know where it can be seen to be honest with you okay. um i'm just going to bring in and I, I know you're you're waiting to jump back in again Kyrus, but i'm going to bring in one two six as uh, he or she has been waiting patiently as well but thank you teb appreciate that appreciate you too, brother one, two, six. Or 12, six. 12 to six. So to speak to what Kairos was saying, and I kind of agree to it, if you can't make weight, her dietitians, her whole team and herself as well should have looked at what they were doing with that two-pound metric and say, no, we need to get our overall BMI and body weight down first and then start the two-pound drop per week. Uh, she clearly was struggling with weight cut and they should have developed a different strategy and a different plan because she failed multiple times. So a generalized two pound weight cut with a big cut on the last week, which is where typically you would dump all that extra water weight wasn't working because her body fat was too high. She wasn't even with the cutting of water weight, she was still just too overweight for any division. So, I mean, you know, it, it was irresponsible on her part to sign contracts when her body mass index was too high to fight in the UFC. My two cents for it. Um, she could have had a great career, and I feel like between her, her coaches, and her diet plan, she just kind of pissed it all away. So, yeah, that's all. Okay, well, thanks for that, one, two, six. I'm, I'm kind of mindful that um, it's coming up to 20 past, and we're still on my subject. So I'm just going to quickly just run through um the ugly and it is it is short and sweet there was one particular uh scene where nika montagna is literally a hanging corpse she is struggling to keep conscious and in that um the camera settles on her and her uh, her naked breast now to me i don't have an issue with that I'm not bothered by that. But for Nico Montagna to be so bothered that she took to the media to express a disdain, that for me was kind of ugly because it's still in the cut that I saw. I'm not sure if there is going to be a further edit. I'm not sure if there is going to be a director's cut that takes into consideration um, her disdain and uh, what she viewed as ugly. But I saw that was ugly because it was still in there. I'm going to level with you. I found this documentary hard to fault it was flawless the way in which it was colored in terms of grading beautiful you'll know this yourself kairos grading especially for mixed martial arts 
is a fine art and this was bang on the money in terms of narrative structure as well beautiful i love the backstory i love the fact that you know we got to see and we got to hear her backstory because it's not something and it's not a story which is common but finally, I just love the fact that this actually saw the light of day. It's so difficult as a filmmaker to actually bring projects to the fore, particularly where it has this controversial edge to it, which is, to a certain extent, it's, uh, it's not a good look for the UFC, but still, it saw the light of day. So just going back to the ugly, I just thought that was the only ugly aspect of it, and I'm struggling to find ugly aspects of it. Chisanga. We're on to the ugly. Oh, I've already said my ugly, bro. But you, you've lost track of uh, you, you've lost track of the the, the order. Obviously, <laughs> that put me in my place. Corey Rolls, he's saying you got Alzheimer's. You don't remember but, shit. Because <laughs> I, I thought we went good, bad, and now we're on to the ugly. No, I said, I said, I said my uh, I said <laughs> at my the same thing. time. Yeah, I got ugly. If he doesn't have ugly, I got ugly to say. Kairos, be ugly. Here's what I don't like as well. I don't like how they were... Well, I like the fact that they had other people contributing. They had Ariel talking about the miscommunication. They had her camp. They had different... So I thought that was great. But I also thought that worked against her again on another front. Because it was like, okay, you have all these people around you who are fucking your shit up. Who are like... They have different frames of mind, say different opinions from you. And they're supposed to be the people around you who care about you and manage you. Like the gym owner was just had a completely different... like perspective on weight cutting and all that shit compared to nico it's like how do you guys work with people and go to gyms and train under people who aren't like-minded as you and expect things to go well for you i just you're a grown-ass adult you should fucking know better and it's not like it's the only gym in fucking new mexico because you left the gym at the end of the fucking documentary after all the shit that happened, you left the co- you left the coaches, you left your boyfriend, you left the gym, and it still fucking went south again for you. So clearly, you ain't learned your fucking lesson after the first time. What the fuck are we doing here? Doing this documentary, trying to tell your story, trying to make you look good, and then at the end, you make yourself look even worse. What the f- like? And what made me even more upset too is. The guy who wrote the documentary, his name's like Dickenhouse or Dickster or like, I, I'm sorry, fucking, but it's Dick something. It's Dick something. He was going through with this whole entire theory of, oh, the UFC is taking advantage of its fighters. Bitch, you took advantage of the fighter. You put this project together by showing her nude without her consent. What the fuck are we doing? What are we doing? And then she expressed her concern to you about you putting that shit in there and you said you're keeping it in there. What is this shit is so fucking hypocritical that I cannot get behind it. I just cannot. So congratulations. It looks good. It's a well-written story or whatever, but it's built on a throne of lies. It's all a lie. Wow. It's Landon... uh... Let me, let, me, let me just pronounce this correctly. It's Landon Dixterhouse, um, who is the producer-director of this, Kairos. <laughs> Dick something. Wow. Landon <laughs> Dix the house? Did you say Dix the house? Is that what you said? <laughs> Dixterhouse. Well, well, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe it's Dixterhouse, but that's, that's how I thought it was pronounced. But anyway, looks like we've, we've done this one to death and definitely run over time in terms of how we'd actually carve this one up. But I'm going to spin the bottle, and I think we're going with Chisanga next. 
Okay, so I wanted to kind of have a recap of, of this past weekend's fights and in particular on the, the seismic victory for Juliana Pena in the co-main event against Amanda Nunes. Shocked the world. She defied everybody. I, I mean, I, I don't know if people saw or watch Israel Adesanya's YouTube channel. He jokingly called her a lamb to the slaughter, which is what many people thought she was. Many people thought that this would just be another routine title defense for Amanda and that potentially it would uh, pave the way for a fight with Kayla Harrison. Obviously, that didn't transpire to be the case. Juliana upset Amanda. Amanda, we can talk about her, her approach to the fight another time. But what I wanted to to uh, to put out there, and I put this out there immediately in the immediate aftermath of the fight, was that I truly, hands down, believe that this is the biggest upset in UFC history. And I know people will say you recency bias plays a factor into this. And I know people say that um, that uh, GSP losing to Matt Sarah was an even bigger upset. But I'm willing to die on this cross because, oh well. In fact, I want to get I want to get yours and Kairos's uh, thoughts first, and then a couple of the listeners' thoughts first. So, Mike, do you agree with the notion that this is the biggest upset in UFC history? No, I'm going with Matt Sarah and GSP only because no one, no one predicted that. No one saw that coming. I saw quite a few people, and I'm not going to lie, and you know, I think they should be held for this. Quite a few people on Saturday were saying. I sense an upset. I see an upset. I, I do feel there's going to be a change of the, of the guard here. No one saw Sarah GSP. Absolutely no one. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kairos, what's your two cents? I'm saying yes. And Mike, you know what's crazy, all right? Mm. First of all, back in the Stone Age when you were in existence and watching <laughs> MMA, they didn't have social media. So you didn't have wow. as much access, all right? Wow. Is that, That's is that where, why is you that saw it this now? time around. Yes, this is the biggest upset. Why? <clears throat> Matt Sarah, not sorry, not Matt Sarah, GSP was like one or two fights into his title reign when he lost it. Amanda had both belts and three plus title defenses on each of them and lost it. So it's like, bro. And it was the Ju- it wasn't she wasn't fighting no fucking Valentina. We were like, it's Juliana. She got choked out by a fucking striker. By GDR. Well, how much BJJ does GDR have? I probably got the same level of BJJ as GDR if we're gonna keep it a buck. All right, no, I don't. But my point is this: <laughs> she was supposed to get killed. It was not supposed to be competitive in any way, shape, or form. There were no metrics or attributes that we could confidently say that Juliana beat Amanda in in any category, any stretch of the imagination. It was only a question of how long it goes, not even who's going to win. This is the biggest upset in UFC history. I will not stand for anything else. Not no GSP versus not no GSP versus Sarah. Not no Anderson versus Chris Weidman. Not no Rose versus Joanna. Not no 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 no. This is the biggest upset. No, I, I completely agree with you, Kairos. I mean, I think a lot of people. Um, and again, we talked about this as well. Well, George Saint Pierre, while his 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 Hall of Fame career, he deserves to be lauded for it. He's held as this. Um, well, well I've, I don't want to, for, for lack of a, a different term, he's held, he's held as this golden goose, the golden goat. But as you quite rightly pointed out, I believe, I believe the Sarah fight was actually his first title defense. So he hadn't, he hadn't built the body of work. I know he'd beat BJ Penn and he'd beat Sean Shirk beforehand, but comparatively Amanda Nunes, body of work now to his body of work then 
is probably twice as good. I mean, how many former champions has she been? She's beaten Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, and stopped all of them. And yeah, and everybody, everybody, and I don't want to. <laughs> maybe me my, myself as uh, I thought this as well. I kind of thought that she was a, a lamb to the slaughter, and this was just going to tee up a Kayla Harrison fight, but um, obviously didn't prove to be that way. And again, I'm. Karis, I'll go hand in hand with you in this hill. I'm ready to die on it. That it's the biggest upset in UFC history. GSP wasn't George, the George St. Pierre that we all know and eulogize when he lost to Matt Sarah. Okay. Well, Uncle um, Applesauce wants to chime in. Uncle, what's on your mind? Hey, what's good? Uh, first, quick shout out to all my black MMA fans. Big shouts. Shouts to the bros across the pond, too. Uh, hey. But I was just going to say that uh, I agree, too. This has got to be number one. Especially because we're on, you know, the post Connor era where I feel like MMA is so much bigger now, especially the UFC, such a new thing. And then I feel like with how Nunez was right now, like I, I agree too. Whereas, like, I thought she was unstoppable. I really thought there was no woman on earth that could beat her. And not to say that wasn't the same for GSP, but I feel like, you know, like y'all were saying with social media and then just how much bigger the sport has gotten. And I feel like this pedestal she was on with the two belts uh, just destroying Cyborg. And Cyborg was someone I thought was unstoppable before. So I feel like I didn't see anyone dethroning her anytime soon. And I feel like because of how, how much bigger the company is and how big uh, Nunez has become, I feel like she was really, she was really like the number one. So I think this, this has to be the, the biggest upset. Yeah, for sure. And shout out to uh, to Wholesome MMA for actually tweeting us uh, some stats comparing uh, George St. Pierre and Amanda Nunez's respective resumes at the time of their losses. So Nunez's uh, record at the time when she lost to George, uh, when she lost to George, sorry, confused. Jet lag is getting to me, people. When she lost to Amanda was 21 and four, while George's was 13 and one. Pena was 10-4, and four, Matt Sarah was 9-4. and four. Nunez's notable wins were Chris Cyborg, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, Jurain Durandamy, and Valentina Shevchenko twice. GSP's wins at the time, Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, and Sean Shirk. I mean, when you lay it out like that, it just, I mean, it attests to the fact that this is well and truly the biggest upset in UFC history. And Mike, you need to reassess your, yourself. <laughs> Beep! Can you hear that truck backing up? I've got to to say, when you put it on paper like that, damn, it's pretty damning. And Kairos is right. There there is the nostalgic element that haunts me for everything. And I hark back to the golden era and I hark back to the golden age. And that for me was a big fucking upset. But comparatively, when you lay these side by side, you know, thank you for this wholesome MMA. That really does put context to you know, what we're talking about here um, is kind of undeniable, nay, indisputable. No, agreed. Oh, sorry. Agreed 100%. Yeah, it's... And, like, being there in the arena as well, I've never heard a crowd that loud. Never, ever heard a crowd that loud. So I think that kind of lends uh, lends some truth to that fact. But, all right. I think it's, I think it's time to, uh, to pass on to Mr. Bodley, right? I wonder what heat he's bringing. Kairos Bodley. I want to know what's crazy. I was about to talk about Dominic Cruz, but I saw this commercial for Venom a few minutes ago that got uploaded to YouTube. And it's time to shit on Venom, okay? There were some high hopes. There were promises given. 
there were statements made. There were claims. Claims that this was so much better for the fighters than Reebok. This was going to revolutionize the game. Fighters would be treated like human beings and not chattel. There would be better marketing. There would be better kits for them to put on. These would be functional uniforms. This was going to take us to another golden era of mixed martial arts. But do you know what I see a year into it? It's the same fuck shit. Uniforms <laughs> falling apart. Y'all got y'all got letters that aren't even legible on cameras that are shooting in 12K for the fucking broadcast. What the fuck are we doing? The increase in price for fighters is like a 2K bonus for each level and tier for fighting. Like, what did you guys actually change? Nothing. I looked at that ad today and they were promoting some girl who's not even a fighter telling the story about a girl who watched mixed martial arts, also dances, and then got inspired by other women in the sport and became a UFC champion. You know who the fuck they could have used that commercial? Valentina fucking Shevchenko. She's an actual champion right now who dances and fights. Why the fuck aren't y'all using your fighters to promote your sports? How does this make sense? How does this make sense? You guys literally have access to fighters to promote for your product of supporting fighters and you don't do it. You're not paying them any better. You're not affording them any opportunities. The kits that they got on are uninspired and fucking ugly, and they aren't functional half the time. What the fuck are we doing here? Why do we do this? Betsy Ross could have stitched together better fucking uniforms in 1940. What the fuck? Just for us to over the <laughs> pond uh, in the UK, who's Betsy Ross? <laughs> She stitched up the American flag. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that, Chisanga? Come on, be honest. Betsy Ross? Nah, and I, I, I should know it because I lived in America and I briefly did American history, but it could tell you could tell that I didn't pay attention in class. And it was like honestly, that reference offside is hilarious as hell. I was not ready. <laughs> it, and it was 1840, not 1940. So that's on me. That's my fault. <laughs> You you're on a set. Hey, you were rolling now. I felt the energy. But yeah, so, um, how do you guys think uh, Venom's reign of terror has gone for the UFC? In your opinion, you know, you don't have to follow what I say and believe what I believe. But I'm just very curious to hear what y'all think of this fucking fiasco. And Mr. Morgan, you're up first. No time to think. <laughs> No time to think. It was always going to be a shitty shoe-in because if the rumours were to be true, they were talking to Nike. They were talking to the big players behind the scenes. So this was a last-minute poor substitute. This is kind of like the date that gets cancelled and you're kind of like left with slim pickings. Basically, this was all that was on the table and it was never going to work out good because let's just imagine that the fighters weren't really getting recompense properly from the previous sponsorship deal. Did they think that it was going to go uphill going with somebody who was more or less substandard in terms of brand values, in terms of a brand, in terms of stature, in terms of how they're seen in the scene? No, it wouldn't. I totally agree with you. It's, it, 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 it's kind of, it, it's infuriating because I want to disagree with you, but I can't disagree with you. Kairos, you're absolutely right. This is an absolute shit show. But it was always going to be a shit show. And I'm glad it hasn't deviated from what we thought it would be because we all like to be right. And every single person to a man said that this is how it would pan out. And this is the way it panned out. 
I didn't see it like that. I saw a lot of people saying this was great. This is going to help him out. I DM'd a few fighters. I DM'd a few. I was like, what do you think about the Venom deal? And one of them was like, I think it's great. I think it's going to help us out a lot. And me personally, I was like, okay, maybe they're afraid I'm going to like show who what they said and like that shit. So maybe they're just being like safe. But I flat out told him, I was like, listen, y'all are going to get fucked again. And <laughs> they, they, this person read that and they get they gave me the little heart um, double clap clap on the Instagram emoji and then just left that. Down. I was like, yeah, you know, you know, you're going to get fucked, but you just can't say it. And they were like, yeah, and I was like, OK, that's all I need to know. Every single fighter to a man and a woman who I spoke to said it was a shitty deal. They knew what was coming down the pipe. They knew had they been fucked through um, um, Reebok, and they knew it was going to be a continuing. It was basically going to continue into this deal, and that's exactly what's happened. Just before oh, we, we we throw. It oh to no, it, Mike! No, Mike! They they get an extra five hundred five hundred dollars, isn't it? I, I think wasn't it <laughs> wasn't it every fighter who was in, regardless of what category? Well, I think apart from the like thirty plus fight category, got like an extra five hundred dollars for each for each fight. I mean, oh, those that five hundred dollars is going to make a fucking real major major difference when like Life only a couple years only when only when a couple years ago you had Jeff Neal, one of the best welterweights in the world, fucking still being a waiter. Do you know what I mean? Life-changing money. You know, just before we, 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 um, we, we crack on with um, you, Chisanga, um, we've got a few people who want to actually speak who've had their, had their hands up waiting. Um, we're going to go back to TEB, the Enlightened Baddie. Yeah, I'm in the camp that the all the uniform deals, Reebok to Venom, were just bullshit from the beginning. I mean, most fighters in you know the regional circuit or other organizations make their money off sponsorships. You know, I just recently paid for some sponsorships on some shorts for uh, Stephanie Frausta when she fought for Combate recently. You know what I mean? Like they make their money off their shorts, and you know if you want to talk about fighter pay, fucking give the fighters back their shorts. You know what I mean? Let them fucking brand. Let them do what they do and let them make their money. But these deals are bullshit. I mean, they're just really there to make shit look professional when they look like shit, even though, you know, it's just, I don't know. I hate that shit. I think it's retarded. Excuse my language, but it's just. I don't, okay. I don't. Thanks, TV. Again, waiting patiently. And uh, the long lost brother, Natraj, is back in the house. Hello, hello. Hi, guys. It's been a while. Uh, Honestly, this is a very moot point. Like, here's the truth. UFC will never, ever be, they will never put themselves in a situation where they're allowing fighters to make more money from their deals. Never, It is never going to happen. So they, it's not like, even if they get fucking Nike on board and they will be like, oh, you know what? Fine. Like now Nike makes our shots. If Nike decides to pay even fifty thousand for to UFC that to make individual shots for fighters, out of that forty thousand will be pocketed by the UFC. It is just bound to happen because in their head, the fighter's value is more, and it is true. Unfortunately, the fighter's value is more because he's a UFC fighter. That's just how it works. So for them, for from their perspective, the brand comes before the fighter itself. And they, like they made the stars, they made the Anderson Silvers, they made the Conor McGregor's, they made the Ronda Rousey's, and they are right. But at the same time, fighters are unfortunately most of the time 
they have barely have two brain cells left and they don't do anything about their alternate revenue streams and they don't use the platform for their benefits some of them are smart enough to do it like dj did it dj started his own twitch stream long before like twitch was like going crazy like it is now and like he built his own alternate stream and he used his popularity as a ufc fighter and as a champion so that he doesn't have to rely on these bullshit deals other fighters have to catch up otherwise they're just going to sit there and cry about getting fucked over while ufc is going to continue fucking them over facts facts yaye's elbow you might hey what's up guys hey what's up man uh so coming in a little late to this but i i think uh especially he just said the best man but i am in the camp of you know fighters should be allowed to sponsor themselves on their shorts you know have their little drop down in their corner all that kind of stuff. Um, I do agree, especially I was just having this conversation the other day, especially uh, with older fighters not marketing themselves. I think it comes to a point where I, I disagree with what the UFC does. And I think they don't feel like like they hold themselves to the standard that they don't feel like like they made the Ronda Rousey's, the McGregor's, like he said. Um, I feel like fighters don't market themselves well enough. It's at a certain point. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate in this because I, I do think they should be allowed to get personal sponsors and show that in their fights. But I, I think there's a there's a lacking there with a lot of these fighters who, who, who don't take advantage of their marketing potential and use that to make themselves more successful. Okay, so we've got a few people queuing up to speak, but I, I think it'd be kind of remiss of me not to go back to Chisango as it was his turn to give his retort. Yeah, for um, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to say I was optimistic. I thought there would be, be some sort of tangible change, a tangible benefit for for the fighters. But after like, I reached out to a few who, well, this was maybe a couple couple months in, into the deal, like maybe six months into the deal, just to get their thoughts on it. And fighters who who had fought during uh, during the Venom era, and a lot of them. Well, under anonymity, I'm not going to say who they were. Just basically, like it's just more of the same. It's like there's 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 no real benefit for me. Yeah, I'm getting an extra five hundred dollars or whatever, but I'm still getting taxed on it. I'm still getting so by the time it reaches my bank account, it's not it's not even um yeah it's 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 not even it's not even worth it. It's not even worth it to a to a certain extent. And I think um yeah there was there was a good point raised. I can't remember who it was uh, who who was by, but. Do you remember a few years ago that the UFC actually used to hold athlete summits? They used to hold athlete summits and they yeah. used to advise the fighters and on the other ways of how how to make money, how to market yourself, how to and if you didn't have didn't have like social media, they'd set up a social media page for you and they'd get you verified and stuff like that. Um yeah, those those have gone the way of the dodo, right? Remember? I think the last one that I remember was when uh Chris Cyborg beat the shit out of Angela Mangania. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was, yeah, Slapped I think, her. yeah, I think that was the, I think that was the, the, the final one. And uh, yeah, that, that obviously coincides with the WME IMG era, right? So I think they just, well, I, I don't know, maybe it was the plan for the company to begin with to stop the, uh, to stop the athlete summits or what have you. But yeah, the, the timing, uh, well, it, it coincides with the UFC having new owners. But yeah, I, I think now nowadays, if you're a younger fighter coming into the UFC, you've got to you you know the lay of the land. You know 
that you're, you you can't make money on on, on sponsors uh, sponsorship on your shorts and what have you so you have to seek alternate ways of uh, of getting that money and some fighters are, are, are doing well with that like uh, Sean O'Malley is doing particularly well with that with this clothing line and his YouTube channel as well I think he's got a couple hundred thousand subscribers of of the of the top of my head so I mean sadly I know I know it sounds as if I'm just being uh, crass and blunt but fighters you've just got to do this yourself you've like there there is a path there is kind of a blueprint out there you've just got to get on that get on that road and then you've got to diversify and then figure out what makes best for your brand Kairos and then we're going to throw to TEB and then back to MMA fun guy I know that a few people are waiting um to be well <laughs> set on the stage but it looks like we're fast running out of time I'll, I'll definitely try my best to to accommodate you Listen, I heard what Yair's elbow said, and I heard what you're saying, Chisang. I get it. Yes, fighters should market themselves. But the UFC deserves the brunt of this heat. They literally have a department dedicated to marketing. The UFC is so bad at marketing, it's laughable. It is laughable that you would have a fighter like Amanda Nunes underneath your roof, and she would not be a household name like this. Connor, Ronda, John, all the, Habib, all those people were already massive stars that the UFC just hitched their wagon onto, and then people believe that they should get credit for something that's already happened. The UFC has yet to take and build a star from scratch because they don't know how to. If you aren't automatically a star, they are not interested. They would rather promote bozos and bums who can't even win fights. They promote the fighters who win underneath their own roof. Do you remember the people that Venom put on the front cover of their photo shoot when they first signed? They had Kay Hansen. Kay Hansen. She ain't even won three fights in a row. She hasn't even ten fights on her career. And you guys want to market her? Are you out of your minds? Are you out of your mind? And then you got Aljamain Sterling with Brian Ortega. Aljo's one of the most hated fighters on the roster right now. And Brian Ortega just got his brain splattered for the second time in three fights. What are we doing? Oh, Lord, Kairos, you, you kill me. But in fairness, right, wasn't the... In fairness to the uh, to the marketing team, and we, we we were talking about balance beforehand in the Nika Montagna segment, wasn't the, the Venom deal before the Peter Yan fight? Was that before the Peter yes. Yan fight? Yes, it, it was, was, guys. Who but, cares? Okay. You still pick them. <laughs> Who cares? Fair okay. Enough. I'm going to go to the best ever, then MMA Fun Guy, then back to Uncle Applesauce. TB. Yeah, I don't know. This is a mixed bag. Um, the marketing department at the UFC is pretty much trash, but I look at it kind of the way the NFL approaches marketing. You know, they market the brand. They are uh, the shield before they are any player, you know, whatever. They're the brand. So the UFC will market the brand before they market a fighter. And we've seen problems, with, you know, with that, like with Conor McGregor, for example, you know, like he gets to such a high point where they have issues now controlling him. So I think that as a company, they really want to avoid that as, you know, as best as they can, which is why it's on the athlete to put themselves in positions where they can't deny you, you know, you know, if you put yourself in a Conor McGregor situation, they can't deny you. They have to give you shit. You know, you have to build yourself up, though, because they're not going to do it for you. You know, this is why public speaking classes are probably good for athletes who are going to go to the UFC. You know, I don't know. There's a whole lot of shit that they could be doing for themselves that they don't do. 
then that they can complain about it after the fact. So it's a mixed bag. You know, the UFC could be better, but athletes need to recognize that they're not going to be better because they're the brand first, you know, above everything else. So they got to do better for themselves. Okay. MMA fun guy. All right. So when we're looking at, like, promoting, like, the UFC is meant to promote their fighters. It should not have to be solely on a fighter to get themselves over. This is not pro wrestling. Like, Mighty Mouse is the best example. He said he was making more streaming on Twitch than he was making as champion. And Dan White says, I have no idea how to promote this guy. I struggle. You just didn't fucking try. He was huge amongst the video game community. I loved watching his streams because he's a very good fucking video game player. He's very fucking cool with everybody. If you would have started sending him to, like, TwitchCon as a UFC fucking representative, VidCon, UFC representative, promote him as a UFC fighter and a fucking video game streamer, he could have gotten so much over in a whole different community. But Dana White doesn't look at that. Their marketing division doesn't look at that. They only care about the stupid fucking people or the fucking pretty people or all this stupid shit of people that can't win fights. Like, it's stupid. Kairos is right. This is all in the fucking UFC. Uncle Applesauce. What's on your mind, brother? Yeah, I was I was really gonna say the same thing, uh, especially too, because of you know how much the how different the the split is for uh, you know UFC fighters versus other sports, where it's like what someone correct me, like what like twenty twelve percent for the fighters, twenty to twelve something like that, where the the UFC is making like the rest of the revenue, where I feel like it's like all right, so they're making that much of uh like that little of the money so like how is that money not going back into promoting them or like you know boosting them and i think especially too one thing is like where you got someone like sean o'malley who is very good at promoting himself like he's probably just someone that you know he grew up very talkative you know he knew how to talk to people how to be charismatic and i feel like the majority of people just are not like that and i feel like the ufc should be investing time and money into the interests of the fighters and the things they like to do outside of the UFC instead of them having to rely on that themselves. Like, uh, where was it TM? You were saying like, uh, like speech classes and stuff like that. I feel like the UFC should be providing those things for the fighters and, you know, like find out what they like, find out what they can do outside of fighting and then push that forward and like, let people know that, you know, these are not just, athletes but interesting people and you know have them have some type of career afterwards where you know we have the few people who do but it's like the vast majority of fighters who come and go have nothing afterwards that's the unfortunate history of prize fighting though like that's really the unfortunate history about it like a lot of people come into it and then they leave broken and debilitated with nothing you know this is why it's on the athlete to ensure they don't go out that way you know I mean, I agree with you in a lot of ways. Like, the UFC should be a lot better at this, but they've shown time and time again they're not. So you got to take it on yourself to get better at certain things. And, you know, not every athlete and fighter is interesting. You know, some of these guys are boring as fuck. You know, like, it's just a state of the matter. I mean, I'm in training rooms with these guys, and some of them are fun. Some of them are not. You know, and it's that makes it hard to market, you know. 
Okay, sorry to cut in there. We've got one person who's been waiting like forever, the ghost of Butterbean. But we also have somebody who was involved in the film that we discussed at the top of the hour, Warrior Spirit, who um, I'm sure will want to chime in as he's been uh, waiting patiently and listening to our thoughts. Um, Ghost of Butterbean, what's on your mind? Hello. Um, I'm assuming you guys are talking about me. Uh, my name's Landon. I'm the director of Warrior Spirit. Um, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, regarding how the fighters are treated in the UFC, I think it's important to note that all the griping that's gone on with all the professional fighters online, um, there's a reason why it keeps occurring over and over and over. It's because something is not right in the current system. Um, if you look at even some of the best fighters, let's take a John Jones, who was in our first documentary. He could even get the big money fight he wanted, and he's arguably the pound-for-pound pound goat. Why is that? Well, it's because, you know, the UFC is bottom line first and they're going to cut every corner to make sure that the company remains profitable. And that that also includes sacrificing some of the fighters safety, um, as was seen in the uh, documentary Warrior Spirit, our our current project on former UFC champion Nico Montano. And just on that project, you know, as I say, we discussed it uh, in depth at the top of the hour. We spent roughly about half an hour, which typically um, we spend about 10 to 15 minutes on each topic. But we spent half an hour on on your incredible documentary. Um, we each had different aspects in terms of um, how we saw it. But I'm, I'm intrigued. It looks as though you started out filming something else and then ended up at a completely different uh viewpoint and narrative structure seemed to have changed um halfway through the film Mm -hmm. am i right did you kind of like chance upon the weight cutting debacle or did you know that was coming up so this was always going to be shining a a light on on weight cutting just talk me through the narrative structure Sure, sure. You're right, Michael. Um, you know, when we got into the project, Nico's story was incredible as it was. She, you know, she's the first Native American UFC champion. She's obviously a huge underdog coming out of the Ultimate Fighter, having to face Valentina. So, in a way, it was like a modern day Rocky story where you got Nico, who is somewhat like a Rocky character, the underdog. And then you got Valentina, who's more like the Drago character, you know, the Russian female, uh, you know, fighter that can't be stopped, you know? Um, and, and that's, that was kind of the initial setup. Now, you know, we, we've done a few other documentaries with UFC fighters. So we knew that there's other parts of the story that are always interesting to cover, but with Nico, it, it was truly to see if she could overcome this David versus Goliath matchup and, and defend the title. But, um, you know, about, a quarter of the way through, halfway through, you know, they, they told us she, she was going to do her weight cut at the UFC Performance Institute. Now, the Performance Institute is pretty new at the time. This is uh, 2018 as she's preparing for UFC 228 and she uh, reports to Clint Wattenberg, which is their head nutritionist. They do all the tests. 
all the science, all the data, all the cutting edge technology to see, uh, according to her metrics and what, how her body's metabolic systems function, if she would be able to make it down to 125 in the amount of time they wanted to allot her to defend the title on the pay-per-view at UFC 228. So they did that. The data was conclusive. It showed that it was going to be a massive stretch to be able to make that weight. Nico said she would prefer a later date and there was a later date available October. And, uh, the UFC PI nutritionist Clint also suggested they should take the later date. Unfortunately, Mick Maynard and the brass at the UFC shot that down. Um, and then the story kind of took a new form there as she tried to cut a deathly amount of weight in order to, um, be ready for Valentina. And it also poses another question. If they knew that was the case for, for Nico, is there some type of behind the scenes narrative that, Hey, you know, we, we want Valentina to be a face of this division because guess what? She speaks five languages. She's white. She's got blue eyes. She, she's a better face for the brand. We leave that up to the viewer to decide, but it, you know, it, it's arguable that, you know, that could be part of it. Carlos, I see you having your hand up, steadily, patiently waiting. Take it away, brother. I was going to say something else, but since you went down this path, let's talk about that. Sure, why not? Possibly the UFC wanted Valentina Shevchenko to become UFC champion. But let's not act like Nico Montano did not almost destroy a freshly new division due to inactivity that they needed to promote. We're not going to sit here and act like Nico Montano didn't hold on to that belt for a calendar straight year not fighting whatsoever. We're not going to act like her track record of inactivity, injuries, COVID, and not fighting didn't play a major factor in her being stripped. We can't do that. We can't ignore those facts. We can't uh -oh. whatsoever. It's not some hidden conspiracy. It's not that the UFC was sabotaging her. It was that she was unprofessional enough to make the weight on numerous occasions, unsuccessful with showing up to fight dates on numerous occasions, and not being able to compete. And such, she was stripped and justifiably showed. There are champions in the UFC in the past who say, okay, well, I don't want to fight this person. Let me drop the belt. Jermaine Durandamy at least had the courage and honor to say, I don't want to fight someone you guys are trying to make me fight or I don't want to do something you guys are trying to make me do. Let me vacate the belt right now so the division can move on and me not plant the division into the ground that we're just starting. Don't, don't frame it like this and don't try and make it seem like she's been victimized by the UFC to the point where it has just ruined her career. That's just not the case. Everything that has happened to her is based off of her own merit. Sure. Can I respond to that? Good for it. Okay. Um, I, I agree. Each athlete should take on responsibility and accountability for that. What makes Nico's case interesting, and it's all documented in the film, which makes it even more interesting, is that she was coming off the Ultimate Fighter where she fought... I think four to five times in a span of a few months. Now she was cutting to 125 every time during that period for the show. And the data that the UFC collects, it is well known that that can destroy your metabolic system. Similar to not letting your muscles recover after, you know, a very excruciating workout, your metabolic system needs a certain amount of recovery time. It's documented. So they know this with other uh, fighters that have been in the tough house as well. So 
it, it is it is reported that it takes about um, 12 to 18 months for your metabolic system to to fully recover. Not only that, she was coming off a foot injury, too, which the UFC knew about. So the question is, yes, there's an accountability issue with the athlete, but also there's an accountability issue with the UFC Performance Institute because they say they are there to make the fighting and um, the training and the recovery and the weight cut safer. Now, if that is indeed the case, then why was she pushed into that fight ahead of time? And, and how, how is that responsible? That, that seems negligent. Um, and and that, that's where the red flags come up. Now, what you alluded to with the COVID and missing the fights, that was well after UFC 228. I'm talking in that span leading up to the fight with Valentina. <clears throat> That's great. That was about eight months after. After winning the title against Roxanne Mataferi, they were scheduled to fight. Yep. Every single person else in that house has to endure the exact same thing that she has to endure. This is not the first season of Tough. This is not the first season of Tough where people won a title at the end of the show. This is not the first season of Tough whereby fighters face complications with weight cutting before, after, and during. This is not the first time ever. This is something that has been happening for the past two-plus decades. We have two-plus decades of data. So here's my problem with this entire issue. One, yes, her body needed time to return back to its usual homeostasis. Not disputing that. Yes, the UFC has a history of being negligent. And in this situation, were negligent. Yes. But she had an allotted eight to nine months to figure out a game plan to make the wait and could not do it effectively. You have, and I looked at multiple times on this film. The first time she weighed in during, um, it was either the finale or leading up to the fight. She was, she was like 17 pounds off course. So you're already in a fucked up situation. You've cut weight enough times as a professional to know, okay, this is going to be a crazy cut. 17 pounds in one week. And also her doing two pounds of weight, a cut for like what, seven straight weeks? How about you lower your natural body weight to the point where you can make the weight anyway? There are so many fighters who have figured out solutions to this problem. But they're saying there are the same fighters who continue to think that they can take matters into their own hands, not hire professionals and do it their own way. And then when it explodes in their face, there is no accountability. And as I'm pointing the finger at every single person but myself. And then when you get rid of the people who you were pointing fingers at, the problem continues to go on. It is not anyone else's issue but your own. She has demonstrated that. Of her next nine fights after the show, how many did she actually make it to? One. You were scheduled to fight nine times after winning the title, and you only showed up to one. Only one of those nine times was not your fault. Only one of them. So as far as this victimhood is concerned, I am, I, it's, it's not even a, no, it's just not possible. And lastly, the question I want to ask you is, you touched on the victimhood of how America treated Native Americans, of how the UFC treats its fighters, but it didn't seem strange to you victimizing someone in the film who asked you to take out their nude body from it because they didn't agree to that? That didn't seem strange? Uh, Nico was offered to screen the film during the time leading up to what would have been her fight at UFC Las Vegas. So that was in August of this year. Because of the contents of the film and 
that she was still training at the UFC Performance Institute, she felt it was in her best interest to disengage from the film. She also states that on that last Misha Tate interview, which she did uh, a few weeks ago, or maybe maybe a month ago. So we told they knew what was in the film because they were all there. Um, like I said, the uh, scene that was in question, the indecent exposure scene that everybody uh, talk was talking about and is, is crying victimhood to is a, a scene that was done during the weight cutting. Um, so there was no foul play involved with that. There was the boyfriend there, Steve Hanna, and also Clint, the UFC nutritionist. So to answer that question, she was allowed to screen it. She opted not to. We made the correction and we move forward. But you see, that's the confusing thing because when I spoke about um, how I felt about the film earlier, we broke it down in terms of segment. And um, okay, we had a playful um, play on words, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the ugly aspects of it. For me was the fact that she took umbrage at the fact that that was still in the current um, version of the film. She took umbrage at the fact that she'd identified that being an issue and a problem at a time when she was at her most vulnerable, but still you've got it in there. So I, I wondered whether there was going to be a director's cut, i.e. one which actually takes her, her point into consideration because it's clear she has an issue with it still, given the media round that she did um, after you know this came to light. She, she, well, you're exactly right. She doesn't know what's in the film because she never screened it. The film was adjusted for the last festival it showed at due to her request. So the issue had been corrected. So the version that I saw, was that the screener that was played at the festival, or is this the one which was played to prior, prior screening? Right, okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so it has been adjusted then? Yes, yes. Brilliant, okay. Yes. Tisanga, yep. did you want to chime in with, with anything? And uh, let's take it a step further. You know, it, it it's interesting that many people, even like Misha Tate, wanted to grasp on to this issue. And the bigger issues at play in the film are, are things that no one wants to talk about because they're afraid that they will either lose their job to the UFC or be put on the shelf like a Leslie Smith was in that scenario. I think a broader conversation needs to be talked about around safety and guidelines revolving around weight cutting, the fighter pay, health insurance, because these are issues that need to be addressed. And, and that's the real aim and goal of the film is to help that. We all want to see our favorite fighters make it to the fight and we'd like to see them make it at their best um, athletic uh, competitive, you know, performance, you know, that so, so they can put on a good show. Um, these issues keep getting buried, but every week people keep missing weight cuts and going to the hospital for weight cuts and people have died from weight cuts. Um, you know, Aspen Ladd was a, a, a recent famous one that, you know, she's 
literally trembling and falling all over the stage trying to weigh in. It's, it's ridiculous, and it's an archaic practice. There have been uh, companies that have made adjustments to the weight cutting, like one with the hydration testing and things like that. There, there's ways to, to make this better, and, and there's a reason why big companies like Amazon, like you know Ford and all these places that have factories and stuff have safety guidelines and protocols that people have to follow so they don't hurt themselves. So to say it's always on the athlete, uh, you know, is, is ridiculous because I think the UFC sees a value in um, them cutting that much weight because guess what? On fight night, when you get a Cody Garbrandt who fought this weekend who cut way too much weight and his chin was shot the first time it got touched, but guess what? It makes for a great meme, doesn't it? So it, it's great for the marketing of the UFC, for example, but it is totally not safe and not responsible, especially a company of that size and has that much money to put behind what they call a UFC Performance Institute that's supposed to be there to be a, a safe haven for the fighters when, in fact, it's not. It's just for show, as Brian Gumble stated in his piece on HBO Real Sports about the dangers of weight cutting. I hear that. Um, we've run horrendously over time. I know that. Um, we said they were going to keep it to an hour and um, we've lost Chisanga as he's in the middle of copy for um, the sun. Um, Kairos, you've got your hand up. Do you want to make yours the last question and then we'll, we'll close down shots fired lives round, live rounds for this week. Oh uh, yeah. Less of a question, more of just a statement. We aren't saying that it's solely on the fighters shoulders for the sake of not giving blame to the UFC. We're saying that because the UFC is not making steps to change these these practices. Therefore, now it has no choice but to fall on the fighters' shoulders. That's just what I wanted to make sure I clarified. And I also wanted to clarify this as well. There are fighters in the organization who have cut 30-plus pounds for the entirety of their career and never missed weight. It can be done. If Daniel Cormier can reach the heavyweight limit but then also fight at 205 pounds simultaneously, it can be done, it has been, been done, and it has currently been done. The issue is discipline, you having the right people around you, and you opting for a better regiment leading up to the fight versus you just saying, okay, great, I'll just do the bare minimum of weight cutting up until the final week, then just lump off all the weight at once. We saw it twice for her. We, have we saw the documents. We saw the paperwork. We saw, we saw her strategy, and we saw her use it three times in a row, and it failed her in two separate weight classes. So it can be done. It has been done. And I just think that at a certain point, these fighters also need to understand, you know, you know exactly what you're getting into when you're signing against the UFC. You know that they don't care about you. You know that there are these weight cutting practices and problems in it, but yet you still sign without any sort of, I don't know. That's just all. I'm not trying to make it seem like it's the fighter's fault, but I just think that because the UFC does not care, you have no choice but to take accountability, unfortunately. Hey, well, let me answer that with a question. Well, don't you think if the UFC Performance Institute knows and has data that backs up the fact that there is detrimental effects to your metabolic system when you cut weight that many times on a show like The Ultimate Fighter, that they should take some responsibility for how they steer a fighter into a weight cut, knowing those things and coming off those injuries, like in the case of a Nico who had a foot injury? Her tonsils removed by the UFC and still tried to force her into that pay-per-view 
well before she was going to be ready because she didn't even come into fight camp in fight shape. Don't you think there's a little bit of accountability or responsibility that should be taken there? You're, you're talking about a, a corporate behemoth, you know, an $8 billion company um, that's doing this. Unfortunately not, because you signed away those rights when you signed a fight on that TV show, as well as signing away those rights when you signed a fight for the UFC. That's the problem. Mm. Going to have to disagree with you there, because it will keep happening, and people will, you know, there'll be another person who dies. There'll be people who continually go to ho- hospitals, have kidney failure before they even make it to the fight. And that's not a good thing to have happening all the time. I'm saying that they can't have fault because those fighters have signed. Not that they shouldn't. Let me just clear. They should yeah. have fault. They mm. can't, though, is what right. I'm saying. All right. There become, there's a thing called corporate responsibility, right? Yeah, and even you guys yeah. signed with the I – lo- I watched the credits at the end. You guys even talked to a law firm about what you guys put together. You, you made sure you went through the straight channels, just like the UFC does. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the argument's not – uh, you know, is 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 it Nico's fault or is it the USC's fault? That the argument should be, what can we do? That the conversation should be around, what can we do to make things better? Because we're all fans of the sport at the end of the day, and there are better way to do things. Um, and as you move forward, you like to see things evolve. Every other sport has their athletes represented. Every other sport pays their athletes forty to fifty percent of the revenue share. Why is the UFC, who's quickly become a top five sport in, on the globe in the globe, not taking some of those steps? And on that note, I just wanted to say thank you for stepping in. Um, it was a little bit of a of a bonus round that we've literally just gone through, and uh, I really wanted to thank you for your time, but also thank you to everybody who and participated in the discussion this evening as well. Thank you to um, those who patiently waited but didn't get a chance to speak. I I did try and keep people um, short and sweet, but as you've probably just seen, um, there were a lot of heated topics that were discussed over the various rounds which we've had. So until the next live rounds and um, until the next time we speak, I really wanted to wish you all a happy festive holiday. And in between time, make sure you follow Kairos. Make sure sure you follow Chisanga. Make sure you follow myself just to keep up to date with all the latest spaces that we're going to be hosting in the coming weeks.